You're listening to the You Mentor Talk Show, now available on the Umoja app. I'm your host, Imran Daramsi. On this weekly talk show, we invite professionals and teenagers to take us through their journeys and give us advice. Remember, if you have any questions for the panelists, you can always leave them in the live comments or in the Inspire app, and we'll do our best to get to them during the show. Um, And before we start today, we just wanted to mention a bit about the Inspire platform. It's a question and answer platform for career advice in our Shia community. As a rising professional, you can ask for great advice from professionals in our community. And as a mentor, and you you don't even have to be a professional to be a mentor, you can be a student uh, mentoring other students, you can give advice to our community's future professionals and up and coming students. It's available via the Umoja app on Android and iOS. So we hope you all sign up and, um, and join that. And you need an Umoja account for that. Today's speaker is Sister Safia Hassan, CEO of Heavenly Hijabs and a high school senior. At school, she's the Vice President of Future Business Leaders of America and President of her school's Muslim Student Association. She also owns a hijab business, Heavenly Hijabs, and is working to serve Muslim women as a social entrepreneur. She is an active member of Idara Jafariya in Maryland, and she wants to make youth and female involvement more prevalent. So let's just welcome her um, to the show. Assalamualaikum, Sister Sophia. How are you? Welcome, Salam. How are you? I'm good, Alhamdulillah. We're so happy that you could join us today, especially with the crazy college applications going on. Uh, definitely busy, but of course, happy to be here. <laughs> Thank you. Our pleasure. So um, let's start, maybe if you want to tell us a bit more about yourself um, and about your business. Mm-hmm. So, um, obviously, as mentioned, I am a 12th grader right now, you know, in college application process. Um, so, I started my business in 2013, 2014-ish, and that's when I started Hijab, which was in 2012. And what prompted me to start my business was when I started Hijab, I had many role models to look up to. I had my sisters, my mom, other family members. And when I found that um, when I turned nine years old, some of my peers didn't exactly have the same amount of role models or the same amount of opportunities as I did. And I think what really hit me home is when one of my specific friends, she started hijab and I was able to um, match some of her outfits with some of my mm-hmm. hijabs and coordinate with her to make her feel like she's fitting in or that just to promote her confidence. And I think um, that's when I realized that there was a bigger problem in the larger Muslim women community that people don't necessarily feel as confident in their hijab because they don't have as many options. So I guess um, my mom one time, she bought me some wholesale hijabs and at Sunday school, she was like, here, you can sell them or give them to your friends or whatever you want. And then at the end of the day, um, what happened was I, I, I sold them all and I came back and I didn't have any. And I guess, you know, that was kind of the initial moment. And from then on, I've just kind of been trying to build it up, include an array of styles, fabrics, colors, just so that I can cater to everyone's needs, not just to make money, not just to, you know, make my own brand or profit, but to kind of fulfill everyone, every hijabi's needs. And especially because in a world like this, with you know, prevalent Islamophobia and whatnot, it's important that hijabis are feeling confident and not only confident, they feel um, happy in their hijab and they feel that by upholding their religious choice, they can also fit in, you know, um, also keep up with the modest trend styles and whatnot. So I think a culmination of those different things of confidence and providing other people of an equal opportunity. 
So 2012, that's you that you must have been like really young, like nine. So th- that must have taken a lot of courage to, you know, start a business at that age. So mm-hmm. are there any, I guess, notable moments relating to that? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I started hijab February, uh, leap day actually of February 2012, so February 29th, and I was eight years old, and um, business actually started around, I was nine or ten, and okay. mm-hmm. I think I never went in with the intention of, oh, I'm going to start a business, or oh, like this is my goal, I'm going to be a CEO, or whatnot. Um, I've always been inclined to, you know, office supplies, kind of being organized, having a professional persona, but um I think more of the fact that I wanted to have, um, I wanted to be my own manager or kind of feel like a grown up and whatnot. I think that's what kind of promoted mm-hmm. me. Um, definitely, there's been people along the way who have told me that, oh, you know, what are you doing with these prices? You're so little. What are you going to possibly do with your life? And right. I think one specific thing is um, at one convention I was selling at, it was the first convention I was selling at, I was 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And some, I, I forgot if it was like auntie or uncle, but someone who was much older than me, she came up to me and she was like, um, where's your mom? I, I wanna buy this, where's your mom? Who should I give the money to? And I was like, oh, this is my business. You can give me the money. Mm-hmm. And she was like, no, 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 but like, it's a lot of money, who should I give it to? And I was like, no, like, I'm the one you should give <laughs> the money to. and. I think um, the fact that a lot of people have, you know, this notion that only grownups can do certain things mm-hmm. kind of, um, it was scary at first because I remember I cried because of that lady. Cause I was like, Oh no, people don't take me seriously. I'm only 10 years old, which I mean, obviously it, it does make sense why no one would want to give a 10 year old money, but um, right. <laughs> it, that, that kind of, it kind of showed me that, you know, sometimes you just got to go for it. I was never my mm-hmm. plan to start a business or to, you know, expand this much. But I think having that leap of faith and also having the motivation that I am having a positive impact definitely kept mm-hmm. me going despite, you know, what other people would say. It's interesting. So um, I, I guess this question relates to the future of your business. How do you see yourself as a social entrepreneur? And like, what, how do you, what do you want to take that um, into, I guess, as you move your business into the future? Mm-hmm. So obviously right now, Heavenly Hijabs is definitely a small scale business. Um, actually, for the majority of its time, up until maybe three years ago, um, just my community, just living in the D.C. area has sustained right. my business. And I wasn't I wasn't needing to ship or, you know, go beyond my own home. Um, mm-hmm. But lately, you know, as I have sisters living in different areas and relatives in other areas, too, shipping has kind of started. And I think that gradual growth um it's kind of made me realize that I have to be more mindful of the market that we're in now. And specifically, um, after, of course, college applications and whatnot, I hope to develop a fully integrated e-commerce website so that I can not only just sell to people who are within my network of like my sister's friends, my parents, mm-hmm. friends, my relatives, but, you know, people in general and hopefully promote them to start hijab or promote their relatives, friends, you know, just a wider network of hijabi women or Muslim women in general. And um, in the future, um, you know, years down, inshallah, I want to make sure that Heavenly Hijabs is not only, you know, a profitable business, but I want to make sure that there's more value to it, um, specifically Mm -hmm. by adding um, the fact that it should tackle a social issue or just, you know, do something good and pay forward um, in society. 
as Muslim women, um, I have a lot of, I've had a lot of friends who've struggled with, you know, their families not giving them enough confidence in their hijab or, you know, friends and being bullied at school or um, being prevented from playing on sports teams. So mm -hmm. I think that I want to make sure that Heavenly Hijabs not only has such a wide option, like such a wide array of options, but right. can also, um, you know, maybe partner with organizations, nonprofit organizations to promote, you know, um, advocacy and involvement of children, of, of girls schooling in, you know, Middle East or other countries and kind of just expanding it from hijabi women to Muslim women to just women in general who are marginalized and who have these inherently, you know, who are inherently a minority who don't exactly feel as confident with themselves. Wow, that is really amazing. Um, and your business couldn't really have been started without your local community. So mm -hmm. maybe if we want to talk next about your connection to Idara. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, I've been going to Idara Jafria in Maryland my whole life. Um, as long as I can remember, it's been like a second home to me. Um, just to prove that um, my <laughs> before Corona and stuff, um, yeah. my parents, they used to tell me that, oh, if you don't finish your homework, then we're not going to Idara over the weekend. So it was literally <laughs> my... It was my motivation to, you know, like get your through the week home. so I could go to Dara. <laughs> so, um, you know, most people's parents take away their children's privileges, like their phones and whatnot. But my parents were like, you don't get to go to Dara if you don't do this. So <laughs> that's just a small little thing. Um, but um, as I've grown up in the Adara community, I've seen how, you know, how we kind of work. And um, I think something that lacks in many Desi communities is youth involvement because um, obviously mm -hmm. the youth aren't the pioneers of the community. Our respected elders have been the ones who you know, tirelessly put in the effort to build these right. communities. And mm -hmm. I think um, sometimes the youth of these days kind of find it hard to end themselves or um, find a way to make their opinions voiced um, in, the, in the community because it is kind of intimidating being amongst such um, experienced and honorable elders of the community. So mm -hmm. I think um, the fact that our youth group wasn't exactly, you know, the most sustainable or the most established, I think um, seeing other youth in the community, there were plenty of us and we right. all kind of knew of each other, um, but we weren't exactly friends. Like there were certain people who mm -hmm. I've seen every week of my life, but you know, I couldn't tell you something about them or I couldn't tell you maybe their favorite color or even what school they go to. So I think, um, the fact that I saw so much potential in the community that I was just, I just had to, you know, go for it and take that leap of faith because if, um, if you think about it, the youth are definitely the future. And if the youth aren't united, then it's a really scary future because, um, at every center, you know, there's like a staple person for the technology. There's like a staple person for someone who mm -hmm. helps in the kitchen. And thinking yeah. about my own generation, I wonder like who will be the people, who will be the people of my generation in those roles. So um, I was in 2017 at the general body meeting. Um, the general body meeting, you know, I feel like this happens in a lot of other places, but not many youth show up. It's mostly, you know, those regular, the founders of the center right. and, you know, other elders. And I think um, I, I went in with this. I was like, okay, I need to say something because even though I'm only 14, I definitely need to try and, um, you know, try to spark some youth involvement. 
And um, I remember I wrote like a whole spiel um, at, at home and, and I was like, I was like, okay, I need to, you know, nail this. I need to make sure I say all the wow. right things. I got all dressed That's up. That's intimidating. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And when it was a Q&A portion and they called on me and everyone else was asking their questions from their seats and they called me to the podium and I was like, oh no, like, what are they doing? I don't want to speak in front of all these people. Right. And I remember mm-hmm. my, my dad and my grandfather were there and they both, mashallah, have been very involved in the community too. So I guess, you know, that kind of pushed me to also go forward with it. And basically I started off by saying how Idar Jafia is one of the biggest and most prominent centers in North America. And mm-hmm. if we fail to channel the energy that we have, then, you know, it can be very detrimental to our future. And we wouldn't want all the effort of our, of our founding fathers, our respected elders to go to waste just because the youth aren't united. So I um, advocated for a youth liaison to the board of directors um, in order to establish a youth group. And um, I think it was a few months later, I got added into mm-hmm. a WhatsApp group. And the WhatsApp group, um, I was the youngest in it. You know, most of the people were 10 years older than me. And they were discussing, you know, what, what should we do for a youth group? And right. I still I still was like, okay, but there's no one my age. And I think I'm youth. I was 14. Mm-hmm. I think I was eighth, seventh or eighth grade at the time. And um, I was like, oh, God, but I need to find more people who are my age who are willing to take this on. And it was hard because it is intimidating to be amongst such, you know, people in professional jobs, people who have more experience than me. And obviously mm-hmm. I was 14. What am I going to say? You know, my opinion <laughs> didn't really have much as, has have, have as much weight as compared to theirs. So um, I think slowly and slowly as I kind of dropped hints, like, oh, maybe we should do something to appeal to middle school, high school students, as opposed to people in the undergraduate age group. And, you know, trying right. to insert my own opinions while also obviously respecting theirs. And um, 2018, um, one of my friends and I, we we um, we were like, okay, you know, it's Ramadan. We have to make use of this Ramadan. Everyone has is on such like a community high. Everyone's you know yeah. super excited to go to the masjid every night, and mm-hmm. it was a really great time to kind of take advantage of that. So we planned a game night, and it was a Sari game night. So it was all night. We planned some games. So we had board games. We had icebreakers and. The turnout was about 150 to 200 people, and we were blown away because wow. we were like, okay, so there's yeah, so mm-hmm. there was definitely an interest, and we were like, okay, so this is what we can do. And then eventually from there, we had a town hall meeting, kind of came up with a group of people. And of course, you know, there's ways to go in terms of establishing a fully functioning, stable youth group, and especially, you know, mm-hmm. during corona time, it's hard to come up with sustainable online events. But I think definitely we're on the path, inshallah. And I think seeing also other masjid in the United States youth group also rise up. It's kind of like, oh, you know, there's people like this, but outside of my own area. And I think, you know, that kind of promoted me to step up and make sure that youth involvement is actually there because just because of the visionary mindset that I had for the future. So um, I I, um, really resonate with what you're saying that a lot of communities have that issue where um, the youth group doesn't exactly cater to the youth. Um, and what you're saying, I guess, is your advice for starting a youth group is kind of have one event where a lot of people come and then kind of take that and start organizing from there. Is that and then what other advice would you maybe have for communities who are looking to pull together an actual functioning youth group as opposed to kind of just a quiet WhatsApp group chat? 
<laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I think it, it was definitely intimidating because it's a lot of work. And I think that's what a lot of people don't realize because mm -hmm. a lot of people simply just complain or, you know, criticize, but don't exactly offer their own help. So I think if you find just one person who's willing to put in the same amount of effort as you, and I just had one friend and we pulled it off because right. we, we really, you know, we both had the same vision. We were like, we really want to do this. So I think once you find that one person who you align with, then you're set because you can motivate each other. And I think, you know, don't be worried about what people say because worst comes to worst, you have a small turnout, but it doesn't necessarily mean the events a flop because we've planned several events where, you know, the turnout wasn't exactly great, but it doesn't matter because you can still make use of an event and you mm -hmm. can still have a really good time at an event with only 10, 20 people, the same type of fun that you have with an event of 150 people. So right. I don't think that people understand that, you know, people isn't necessarily quantifying success because mm. um, as long as you make an impact on just one person, then I would consider mm -hmm. my job done. And you know, you're never going to please everyone. And I think that's something that took me a while to realize because we uh, did a survey after the game night and people gave some suggestions that, you know, weren't exactly the easy to read because we were on, mm -hmm. me and my friend, we were on tie. We were like, wow, we just did that. You know, people were coming to us, parents were coming to us and saying, my kid really needed that. Thank you so much. And, you mm -hmm. know, those kinds of words were really encouraging. But at the same time, there were people who mentioned, oh, maybe you should have done this. Maybe you shouldn't have done that. Right. And I think once you learn to kind of develop a thick skin and know that you're not going to please everyone, it's kind of really important because then and only then will you be able to take their advice and then kind of grow from it. And I think another piece of advice is that you just, you can't, you know, let it get to you or you can't, you know, have this what if mindset, you just kind of have to go for it because worse comes to worse, you know, people don't show up again, people don't show mm -hmm. up or people have a bad time. But if you don't have these negative or if you don't have these experiences that, may not exactly be the best and how are you going to grow because trial and error exactly. you can't just keep spending months and months planning one event but then you have burnout mm -hmm. because you have to spend more months planning another event you know if you're consistent then you kind of get the hang of it it's like you know playing a yeah. sport you can't just not join a team because you're too busy practicing you kind of have to you know get experience yourself play in games you might mess up a little you might you know not do your best you might lose a few games but at the end of the day it's what makes you a better player mm-hmm that's such great advice. Thank you so much. So um, we are not done yet. Um, we have to just um, bring in one very special announcement. Um, so River City Sportsplex and Moja Games 2021 are up for three awards through Sport Events Magazine, uh, the best all-star sports venue, the best all-star multi-purpose sports venue, and um, the live or virtual sports event to watch in 2021, Moja Games 2021. So if you want us to win, visit the link in the description. It's at the bottom um, to vote. You can vote once per day. So we hope you vote every day for those three um, venues and our Moja Games um, until December 18th at 6 p.m. Eastern. Um, so, so everyone who's watching this right now, click the link in the description after the show, of course. Uh, watch the rest. Um, and yeah, we hope to win. So we have um, a few questions come in from our Inspire platform, um, and I think they fit in really well here because you're talking about um, how you run your business um, and how you're involved in the youth group and, of course, college applications and school going on. How do you balance your academic duties, uh, leadership roles, and running a business? Yeah, so uh, obviously right now um, business has been kind of low because um, yeah. it's kind of hard to 
satisfy people's needs from so far away and not many people need a bunch of new hijabs um but mm -hmm. in general um a piece of advice i would give is for me personally i have a planner i write down everything i color code my events i color code you know school work business work application work and i you know i have this you know routine and schedule mindset that kind of gets me through and list making um but you know that's not necessarily everyone's cup of tea uh, some people naturally work with organized chaos and that's perfectly okay mm -hmm. but once you find what works best for you and your way of kind of keeping yourself self-disciplined and motivated then i think you kind of have to use that to keep yourself in check and um i think it's really hard when you fall into like a procrastination kind of cycle because mm -hmm. then you'll feel groggy and then you won't really feel motivated. So I think right. personally, I, I keep time limits on my apps, on my phone. I, you know, you know, start my work at even times like 2.45, 3.15, you know, that just keeps me going. And um, I think it's just important to plan out your time and also don't overwhelm yourself and don't, don't be too hard on yourself because mm -hmm. I used to be like, oh, but my grades aren't good enough, but how am I supposed to teach at Sunday school and have a good business? But I think, you know, once you kind of right. cut yourself some slack and understand your own capabilities, then it makes it a lot easier to not only like feel more confident in yourself and feel happy mm -hmm. with yourself, but it also makes you more productive because at the end of the day, your mind feels, your, your mind is happier when you're more productive. And it's kind of hard to understand, you know, why we put off being productive for so long. Like we know it's going to feel good, but I don't know why we just can't get ourselves to start being productive. But I think mm -hmm. once you are self-disciplined and once you kind of have your own system of doing things, then you'll definitely be able to achieve a lot that, um, that you want to. And I think another important thing is to understand that everything happens for a reason. And if something that you're really trying for doesn't happen, you know, if you don't, if your business doesn't do well at a certain event, or if you don't get into a certain college, then, right. you know, it's okay, like, it's going to be fine. Everything happens mm -hmm. for a reason. And Allah, Allah really knows best. And I think one motto that's helped me get through just high school, you know, everything is make dua, do your best and leave the rest to Allah, because that's like kind of insulation that you won't have any regrets, it's like a foolproof dua that if you try your best mm -hmm. and put in sincere effort and have the right niyat also and leave the rest to Allah, then you're going to be in the best hands because Allah is obviously the best planner. And I think um, sometimes it's hard when, you know, you do bad on a test and you're like, dang, I really studied for that. But, you know, at the right. end of the day, it was the best for you. So having that mentality definitely keeps me going because I know that mm -hmm. whatever, you know, negative is happening to me, it's happening for the best reason, even though I may not understand it. Especially now when everything is so crazy, I mm -hmm. I assume that mindset really helps. Um, okay, so let's transition a little bit um, into uh, more about yourself and your future. So what are you looking at um, as like your um, major in school next year? Yeah, so I am, inshallah, I will be majoring in religious studies or just religion mm -hmm. in general. Um, with also hopefully I will pursue entrepreneurship or business, some sort of that aspect of me, because obviously heavenly hijabs is a combination of both religion and business. So it only makes sense right. that I would take those career paths. Um, mm -hmm. But in terms of career specifically, um, I'm not exactly fully sure, but some options that I have are either, you know, fully taking the religion route and, you know, trying to inshallah reach a PhD and, you know, mm -hmm. teach because, um, this year recently i found out that you know within schools the public school system specifically there's a lot of misinterpretation and inaccuracy taught about islam and other yeah. religions so i think you know teaching 
um, religion from obviously with the, without any bias and you know straight from the books, uh, our books instead of you know the textbooks that may have inaccurate mm -hmm. information. I think that will definitely help mitigate many of the problems where people associate negative things with Islam. Um, and then second option I have is definitely something with keeping heavenly hijabs alive and um, adding that you know social entrepreneurship part, but on a grander scale. Um, because currently or recently, uh, we've implemented starter packages, which are basically um, complimentary, three complimentary hijabs and a pin that we give to girls who just start hijab. So it doesn't matter, you know, mm -hmm. how old you are, where you live, you'll get that um, complimentary package. And I think once I started doing that, that aspect of social entrepreneurship and seeing, you know, genuine smiles on girls' faces when they receive that, I think that kind of you know, emboldened me to have that same impact, but on a grander scale. So that's another option. And then the third option um, is definitely something in the nonprofit sector and providing aid to not only women, but just Muslims in general and using, you know, my religious study background to kind of help go into certain places who um, may be less fortunate and kind of um, pay it forward to the other communities. Hmm, interesting. Um, and actually there is... I know you didn't say Islamic studies, you said religious studies, but um, mm -hmm. nevertheless, that's relatively uncommon, although I guess recently I'm, it's been becoming more common. But um, what motivates you specifically to pursue that and why do you think um, others should pursue it? Mm -hmm. So um, I think, you know, after a Ziarat trip in 2016, I've mm -hmm. kind of just had like an awakening kind of situation where I've realized that, you know, again, with the mis misinterpretation and inaccuracy of Islam, um, I found that, you know, even within our own community, there are a lot of people who, you know, don't have madrasas to go to every week, or there are a lot of right. people who, you know, don't know which books to start with, because it's overwhelming, you know, as Shia, we mm -hmm. have so many books, so many other resources that we can use to, um, to like, you know, learn about our, our religion. So I think, taking on an Islamic studies route can allow me to kind of help my own community, but also like with, can help my own community within, you know, the Shia community, the Sunni community, because at school, my MSA was, you know, predominantly um, Sunni Muslims. And mm -hmm. the fact that I would introduce them to just small in pieces of information, you know, when I would read namaz at school, I would have my um, thurba with me and they would ask, right. oh, what's that? And then, you know, kind of giving them a brief intro about Garbala and whatnot. So I think an Islamic studies route can, be multifaceted in the sense that I can benefit, you know, my own Shia Muslim brothers and sisters, mm -hmm. but also non-Muslim brothers and sisters. Mm, that is that is great. Um, and then I think we've already talked about this last one, the challenges you've encountered in your business, but we didn't exactly talk about um, some of your extracurricular activities and maybe some of the challenges you've encountered there. So like we said at the beginning, you're vice president of FBLA and then also president of MSA. So I guess... Um, yeah, well, what are some challenges you've encountered with those? Mm -hmm. So for MSA specifically, um, I've been an officer for three years and I've been in MSA all four years of high school. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, again, we've had we have a really big Muslim community. Our MSA has been like up to 50 members, which is obviously a really big number of Muslims at school. And um, obviously, because there were so many Sunnis, as someone who was in an officer position, it was kind of hard that you know they'd be talking about you know some sort of some sunni specific beliefs and as yeah. a shia you know in an officer position i would also feel that it's my right and it's my responsibility to educate them about my own beliefs 
not necessarily mm-hmm. imposing it on them and telling them to all become Shia, obviously, but you know, That's educating Shia. them because a lot of Sunni people don't necessarily know a lot about what Shia Islam mm-hmm. is. Obviously, we've seen that a lot with anti-Shia protests um, recently and. Yeah. I think that's definitely been a challenge because, you know, we would have meetings and it would be during Muharram. And we had this one meeting on Shabi Ashur one time. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the other officers were like, let's play a game today. And I was like, okay, or we can have a sort of discussion because a lot of people don't necessarily know about Karbala. Mm-hmm. I must kind of been between balancing my role as an officer, but also my identity as a Shia in MSA. Um, for FBLA, I think the fact that um, and actually, I, I don't think everyone might not know what FBLA is. If you want to maybe mm-hmm, like yeah. introduce it briefly first, yeah. So FBLA is Future Business Leaders of America. It's um, a national um, club that's in many schools uh, on mm-hmm. a high school, middle school, high school, and college level. And at my school, my chapter is about one hundred thirty people. So FBLA is a pretty big part of my school, and right. um, I think. For FBLA, I've obviously had an interest in business since, you know, before I entered high school as, you know, I started my business when I was like nine or 10. Um, And I think kind of understanding business from an academic perspective was kind of hard to adjust because I've always known, you know, you buy the hijab for this much, you sell it for this much, and it just kind of works out. But I think, you know, once I understood um, the more academic side to it, the technical terms and whatnot, I think that kind of opened up a door of a lot of other things I could do for my own business. And it was kind of overwhelming Mm -hmm. at first because freshman year, I was bombarded with all these different terms and I was like, okay, but how can I do it? How can I just, you know, do well in this class, but also apply it to myself. And I think, you know, it was kind of overwhelming just um, having so many, you know, new things that I can try, but not knowing where to start. That's such a good mindset though, like learning something in class and then, not just thinking, oh, I have to study it to get an A on the test, but actually thinking, how can I apply this to my own business? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so we have just one final thing. Um, what is your final piece of advice to people who are maybe a bit younger than you who also want to make an impact? Mm-hmm. So um, definitely a piece of advice other than the fact that everything happens for a reason and make dua do your mm-hmm. best and leave the rest to Allah is that don't be fixated on someone else's timeline because there's such a stigma around, oh, when I grow up, I wanna do this. You know, I could have easily, when I started hijab said, oh, when I grow up, I wanna have a hijab business. But, you know, instead for me, it was my time to start my own business. And I think the fact that a lot of people are just like, okay, later, if you procrastinate, you know, your dreams till later, um, then you're, it doesn't, you don't, you're not necessarily guaranteed a success story and, mm-hmm. um, don't right. necessarily also have this mindset that you have to abide by people's views of what you should be doing. Because yeah. obviously I've told you, um, that people didn't think I was suitable to have a hijab business or mm-hmm. whatnot. So I think the fact that if you, if you feel like something is right for you and you want to do it, then don't wait, just take that leap of faith because, as long as you keep procrastinating about it and thinking about it, then you know, you're know you gonna try to convince yourself that it shouldn't happen or that it's a bad idea. So I think once you kind of go for it, um, then you'll actually you know be able to have your dreams actualized. And, but also going into this, um, make sure you have faith, but also be rational and understand that you have to do hard work. You have to understand that it may not be best for you and that's okay, but you've tried. 
Um, because mm -hmm. if you're going to aim for the moon and land amongst the stars, you can't, you know, not do work. You can't just say, oh, yeah. I tried, but you didn't put in the effort. You, I couldn't just be like, oh, I'm going to start this business, but not, you know, put in the effort of reaching out to people who would want my hijabs or, you know, putting in the effort of packaging orders and, you know, all these other small things that do take up time. I think it's important that, that people understand that you're not going to achieve your dreams just because you want to. You have to achieve your dreams because you have to work for it. Okay, that's great advice. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we're so happy that you decided to come on and we really enjoyed hearing all the advice you had to share with us. So thank you. Thank you so much. It was really such an honor. Thank you. Thank you. It was our pleasure. So um, join us next week um, for another great show, a conversation with Sister Huda Gharib. Uh, Sister Huda is a social justice education PhD student who teaches individuals skills to critically judge the media to which they are exposed. Um, and that show, it's going to be a professional edition show. So it'll be hosted by Sister Fatima Al-Sayed. And that is next Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern, right here on YouTube Live. Moja Outreach Foundation, uniting and empowering the Shia community.